like you to open your Bibles this morning to what may seem to be a very unusual chapter when we're done today. 1 Samuel chapter 21. 1 Samuel uh, chapter 21. As we continue our series called Flawed Hero. We started it last week on uh, scenes from the life of David. 1 Samuel chapter 21. I read this past week about a Mrs. Monroe... Uh, who lives in Darlington, Maryland. And uh, Mrs. Monroe has eight children. And she came home from the grocery store one afternoon. And when she walked into her house, everything looked pretty much the same, except it was quieter than usual. You know, when you have eight children that's quiet, you begin to wonder what's going on. And so she looked into the middle of the living room, and five of her darlings were sitting around in a circle... They were exceedingly quiet and they were doing something in the middle of that circle. And so she put down her sack of groceries, she walked over closely, and she saw that they were playing with five of the cutest skunks that you've ever seen. Well, as you can imagine, she was instantly terrified and she began to yell, Run, children, run! And so each child grabbed a skunk and ran in five different directions. She was beside herself and she began to scream louder and it so scared her children that each one squeezed their skunk. And as we all know, skunks don't like to be squeezed. Now, beloved, fear will make you do dumb things. Fear will make your thinking quite cloudy, like a little child that I read about. Uh, who woke up one night and explained his plight this way. He said, I looked in Daddy's bed and he wasn't there. I looked in Mama's bed and she wasn't there. I looked in my bed and I wasn't there. (laughs) See, fear can make you do some very, very interesting things. Fear will mess you up uh, if you're not careful. And we're going to see that in David's life today here in 1 Samuel chapter 21. Now, we're looking at this series we started last week, Flawed Hero. And if you remember, we're not looking at um, scenes from his life that were victorious and, and grand and amazing. We're actually looking at scenes from David's life uh, where he failed, and he failed miserably in many ways. Aren't you glad that God in His inspired and and authoritative Word records stories like this? Uh, the old pastor, uh, Alan Redpath, used to pastor a Moody Memorial Church, said that he found it tremendously comforting that the Bible never flatters its heroes. In fact, he said it tells the truth about them no matter how unpleasant it may be, so that in considering what is taking place and the shaping of their character, we have all the available facts necessary to study them. You know, all of our lives are made up of the good and the bad. And that holds true when it comes to the Bible heroes. In their lives, there was the good and there was the bad. And so you have your place, I hope, by now in 1 Samuel chapter 21. And our message today is called Running Scared. Running Scared. Now, before we see David running scared, I need to bring you up to speed as to where we are. Last week, we saw a young David as he was anointed to be the next king of Israel. But you have to remember, he did not take the throne right away. In fact, if you were to study from where we were last week in 1 Samuel 16, up till today you'll find that he faithfully served King Saul. He faithfully served the people. He faithfully served God. And what did he get for all that faithfulness? Well, he got a big bullseye 
right on his chest because Saul wanted him dead. And Saul is trying to kill him. And in fact, Saul is trying to kill him over and over again. Now imagine being the most hunted uh, person in your land, the most wanted person in your land. Imagine the king wanting you dead because that's where David finds himself. And it appears as we jump in here to 1 Samuel chapter 21, it appears that David, his faith was beginning to falter just a bit. His faith was beginning to falter just a bit. Maybe you've been there in your own life as there's some, been some difficulties that have come. So what does David do? Well, we find that he goes to the house of God. He goes to the tabernacle. Now, you're in 1 Samuel 21. Notice verse 1. Now, David came to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one is with you? That's a good place to go when you're running scared, isn't it? To go to the house of God, to go to the priest of God. But notice the reception and the reaction uh, that we have here. Ahimelech was afraid. Um, We don't know how much, if anything, uh, that Ahimelech knew about uh, Saul's hatred for David or the fact that uh, he was hunting down David. But obviously, Ahimelech knew that something was off. I guess a man of David's position, I guess, uh, it was unusual for him to travel alone. It was unusual for him just to appear. And by the way, if you're wondering, this is the beginning of ten years of exile that David's going to have in his life before he actually takes the, the uh, throne. Ten years of uh, running. Uh, ten years of exile. And in this particular episode in David's life, fear rather than faith takes the driver's seat in his life. And we begin to see that he does some things and acts in some ways um, that are certainly unbecoming and certainly were unwise. And beloved, we better stop and take notice in our own lives whenever we begin to walk by fear rather than by faith. When we begin to walk by fear rather than by faith. And so we know that David's faith was beginning to falter a bit. And so I want you to notice that David takes matters into his own hands. And beloved, whenever we take matters into our own hands, it, it, it equals trouble. And it's going to bring about trouble. Look at verse 2. So David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has ordered me on some business and said to me, Do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you or what I've commanded you. And I've directed my young men to such and such a place. Now, if you were to go back and study the commentators and the scholars and those who have written upon this passage, there are those who try to justify what David did here. They try to explain it away. They try to dismiss it as as really not something wrong. But the plain truth is David lies. He was not on a mission uh, for King Saul here. He's lying with his lips. He's not on a secret mission. He's running scared. He's running from Saul because Saul wants him dead. And so David, he concocts this story. That he's on this secret mission and it's so, you know, I can't tell anybody. And he begins to talk to Ahimelech and he makes two requests from him. He wants food and he wants a weapon. He wants bread and he wants a weapon. Keep reading in verse 3. Now therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand or whatever can be found. He's obviously hungry here. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread, if the young men have at least kept themselves from women. 
Then David answered the priest and said to him, Truly women have been kept from us about three days since they came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in effect common, even though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. So the priest gave him holy bread, for there was no bread there but the show bread, which had been taken from before the Lord, in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. Verse 7. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Dueg, an Edomite, the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. Now I want you to do me a favor. Take verse 7 that I just read to you about Doeg, and I want you to just file that away in your memory. We're going to come back to it later. But right now, just put that in your memory, okay? Pick up verse 8. And David said to Ahimelech, Is there not here on hand a spear or a sword? For I brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me because the king's business required haste. So the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it. For there's no other except that one here. And David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. So what you have here is you have David taking this bread. Then he wants a weapon, and the only weapon available is Goliath's sword, and so he takes that. Now, this is all pretty straightforward so far, right? We're kind of clicking along. We understand what's going on. But I want us to think a little bit longer on what just happened that we just read about. I want us to go a little bit deeper with it. And I want you to notice that uh, David needs food, and he's given holy bread. Now, this is most unusual because this bread was to be eaten by the priest. This is the bread they put in the tabernacle, the show bread. But they give him this holy bread. And if you keep reading your Bible, you come to the Gospel of Matthew, you find the Lord Jesus talks about this. I'll read it for you. Just jot it down if you'd like the reference, Matthew 12, 1 through 4. And Jesus says that it's okay that David had the bread in this instance. In Matthew 12, 1 through 4, at that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him. So obviously there were some other men obviously in hiding somewhere. Verse 4, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. And so David is given holy bread. And then he needs a weapon. And the only weapon available there that day was the sword of Goliath. Now, beloved, how did the sword of Goliath get there in the first place? Well, because David killed Goliath. Even the priest, when he was talking about it, he said in verse 9, the sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah. Now, beloved, I don't know if you've caught on yet or not, but do you not see the tender mercies of the Lord here in this passage? Just in regards to the bread, just in regards to the sword. The tender mercies of the Lord. David's running scared. He's running for his life. He's been anointed to be the next king. And yet it seems everything's going wrong in his life. He's being hunted like an animal and he's given bread, holy bread. And beloved, that bread should have reminded David of God's provision for him. And here he is. He's given holy bread. And then the interesting thing is he's given a sword. It's not just any sword. It's the sword of Goliath. 
And that sword should have reminded David of God's protection for him. Because he went out as a young man and he slew Goliath with a stone, with a sling. Because he did not come in his own power, his own strength. He came in the name of the Lord. And then you have the idea, here he is at the tabernacle talking to the priest of God, getting holy bread and a special sword. And all of that should remind David of God's presence in his life. That God had not forsaken him. That God had not given up on him. That God was real and God was near and God was working in David's life even though it seemed everything was going wrong. Please see this, beloved. Notice the tender, compassionate care of the father for his child even when David is taking matters into his own hands and lying and trying to figure things out on his own. But it seems that fear was still in the driver's seat. And as I said earlier, fear can cloud our thinking. Fear can make us do dumb things. And we find that the very next step that David takes, if you'll notice in your passage again, 1 Samuel 21, verse 10, it says, Then David arose and fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Now, if you've ever studied David's life, Beloved, if you ever thought about David's life, you might remember that word, that place, Gath. Gath. See if this helps. Let me read a verse for you. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 4. Here's what the Bible says. 1 Samuel 17, 4. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath. <laughs> you see what it's saying now? I go back and read our passage, 1 Samuel 21.10, Then David arose and fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. David went to Goliath's hometown. And to make matters worse, you realize he not only went to Goliath's hometown, he went into Goliath's hometown, he walked into that place with Goliath's sword. And if he was hoping to go in unnoticed, he was sadly mistaken. You see, he had not only killed the champion Goliath, David had killed a lot of Philistines. In fact, put your finger there, if you would, in uh, chapter 21 and turn back to chapter 18. And let's read verses 23 through 30. Because we're kind of filling in some of the gaps of where we are. David has said he's going to get to marry. Uh, Saul's daughter, Michael. And uh, it's interesting to see what he says and, and what Saul does. And I just want you to see how this plays out. 1 Samuel 18, verse 23, or read down through verse 30. So 1 Samuel 18, 23. So Saul's servant spoke those words in the hearing of David. And David said, Does it seem to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law, seeing I am poor and lightly esteemed a man? Verse 24, And the servants of Saul told him, saying, In this manner David spoke. Then Saul said, Thus shall you say to David, The king does not desire any dowry. Now this is where it gets kind of weird. But 104 skins of the Philistines to take vengeance on the king's enemies. But notice the next sentence. But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. I don't close it up, but just let me attention for a moment. Saul wants David dead 
And he doesn't care how he gets dead. <laughs> if he can't kill him and he's tried, then let's let the Philistines kill him. Verse 26. So when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to become the king's son-in-law. Now the days had not expired. Therefore David arose and went, he and his men, and killed, what's it say, 200 men of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, and they gave them in full count to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave him Michael, his daughter, as a wife. Thus Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was still more afraid of David. So Saul became David's enemy continually. Then the princes of the Philistines went out to war. And so it was whenever they went out that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul so that his name became highly esteemed. Realize that David has killed hundreds of Philistines. He's killed Goliath. He's killed hundreds of Philistines, and here he is waltzing into Gath with Goliath's sword. What do we say? Fear will make you do dumb things. Fear will cloud your thinking. Fear will make you do things that you would not when you were not afraid. But let's go back to chapter 21 where we are today. And I want you to notice verse 10 says he walked into Gath. Now look at what happens at verse 11. Back at our text, 1 Samuel 21, 11. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? I mean, they knew right away. Who's he trying to kid? And I want you to see what happens. Now, remember, he's running scared. Look at the next verse, verse 12. David's fear increases. Verse 12 says, Now David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he's running scared from King Saul who wants him dead and now he's filled with fear over uh, Achish, the king of Gath. And I want you to notice that, beloved, David goes from fear to desperation and we're going to see in a moment humiliation. He's already lied with his lips. Now he's getting ready to lie with his life. By the way, you know that once you tell one lie and you tell another lie, it gets easier and you have to tell more and more lies. And we notice here, if we keep reading, you're back in 1 Samuel 21 now, verse 13. Uh, verse, uh, 13. He's afraid. They know who he is. So he changed his behavior before them, pretended madness in their hands, scratched on the doors of the gate, and let his saliva fall down on his beard. He acts like a crazy person. He acts like a madman. Now, what's interesting is the way Achish responded. Look at verses 14 and 15. Then Achish said to his servants, Look, you see the man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? Have I, have, have I need of madmen that you brought this fellow to play the madman or madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? So what's this all about? Well, as I've studied, ancient Near Easterners regarded the, the insane and those who were mad as harbingers of evil and they avoided them. Insanity was often believed in the ancient world to be an affliction of the gods and it was customary to treat madmen as taboo, if not holy, and not to harm them in any way. You didn't mess with these people that were insane. And so David got away. 
He got away through insanity. He got away through acting like he was insane, scratching at the, the doors of the gate and, and let spit flow down his beard and, and just making himself out to be a madman. He got away, but look how low he's gone. This is David. Now, I've got to remind you, all throughout the series, this is a man after God's own heart. I'll never forget that. God said that about him. But he's running scared here. And he's taking matters in his own hands. But I want you to notice something else. David lives to regret his bad decisions. Now, remember that verse that I told you to file away about Doeg back there when David was talking to Ahimelech? I asked you to, to file away verse 7. Now, a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. When the very next chapter, Doeg tells Saul <clears throat> what has happened, that David came and met with Ahimelech. And Saul calls the priest to him, and he accuses them of conspiracy. Now, this is all in the next chapter, chapter 22. And in fact, he has the priest slaughtered. In fact, put your finger there if you need to. Go to chapter 22 and pick up at verse 18. We don't have time to read it all, but let me just read some of it to you. Verse 18. 1 Samuel 22, 18. And the king said to Doeg, You turn and kill the priest. Now think about this. He's commanding Doeg to kill the priest. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck the priest and killed on that day 85 men who wore in linen ephod. And then listen, it gets even worse. Look at verse 19. Also Nob, remember that's where we started today. David went to Nob to meet with Ahimelech. Also Nob, the city of the priest, he struck with the edge of the sword. Watch this. Both men and women, children and nursing infants, oxen and donkeys and sheep, with the edge of the sword. Now one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. So one of them got away. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the Lord's priests. Now look at what David says. 1 Samuel 22, 22. So David said to Abiathar, I knew that day when Doeg the Edomite was there, that he would surely tell Saul, I've caused the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me. Do not fear. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. But with me you shall be safe. I wish we had more time to unpack some of this. But I want you to notice another important point. Not only did he regret his bad decisions, and that's good, by the way, but he takes the next step. David learns from his mistakes. You say, well, preacher, how do you know that David learned from his mistakes? Well, because these woeful times in David's life led to some wonderful worship times. In his life. But we don't find that here in 1 Samuel chapter 21. We actually find it in the book of Psalms. And in fact, it's very interesting when you take the book of Psalms and the Psalms that David wrote during this time and you look at what's going on in David's heart and his mind. 
In fact, I would encourage you to jot these down because I want you to read. There are three psalms in particular that you need to notice concerning this time in David's life. First of all, if you want to know what David thought about Doeg, if you want to know what he really thought about Doeg, go and read Psalm 52 and you'll see what David thought about Doeg. And then if you're curious about what David was thinking in Gath while he was there, go and read Psalm 56. If you're wondering, what was he thinking? What was going through his mind while he was there in Gath? Go and read Psalm 56. But I said there are three Psalms, and that is, if you want to know how David felt after he left Gath, after he was free, go and read Psalm 34. Three Psalms. Psalm 52 tells you what he thought about Doeg. Psalm 56 tells you what's going on and what he's thinking while he's in Gath. And Psalm 34 tells you what he has on his mind, what he has on his heart, how he felt when he was freed from Gath. Now, I'm not going to read anything from Psalm 52 or 56, but would you allow me just a moment or two to share some of Psalm 34? I mean, this chapter has been a very unusual chapter. It's been a very sad chapter in many ways. But I want you to see that David learned from his mistakes. It was not just regret. It was a learning from his mistakes. Let me just share a little bit of Psalm 34. Psalm 34, 1 through 4. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast to the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Now listen, this is the same man who just lied and took matters in his own hands. He played the madman. He tried all this. But listen to what he's saying. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord and He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Psalm 34 eight. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. These are some of those verses that you love and you've heard and you say, what wonderful verses. But look at what they came out of. A very low point in David's life. Psalm 34.15 The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and His ears are open to their cry. Psalm 34.17 The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. All their troubles. Psalm 34.19 Many are the afflictions of the righteous but the Lord delivers them or Him out of them all. You see, beloved, you might be going through a low point in your life but that doesn't mean the Lord's done with you. The Lord was not done with David. And even in the midst of lying and all the things that he was doing here, he had a heart that beat for God. And he turns to the Lord. And he goes from a woeful point to a worshipful time. And he wrote words that still bless us today. So I want to encourage you sometime this week to read those three Psalms. Psalm 52, 56, and 34. But I need to give you three lessons for the road and then we're gone. Okay? We're going to go. Three lessons for the road ahead. As I look at this passage, look at David's life in 1 Samuel 21, the first lesson is this. When you're fearful, don't run away. Run to God. When you're fearful, don't run away. Run to God. We all deal with fear in our lives. Fear is a common thing that we all struggle with and deal with from time to time. And as I said before, fear can make you do dumb things. And so when we begin to walk in fear, we need to stop and say, no, I'm not going to go my own way. I'm not going to figure this out. I'm not going to take it in my own hands. I'm going to not run away. I'm going to run to God. I'm going to let Him know I'm fearful. 
I'm going to let Him know what's going on in my life. He already knows, but I'm going to voice it and I'm going to depend upon Him. And I'm going to rest in Him. And I'm going to seek His will for my life. So when you're fearful, don't run away. Run to God. Second lesson. When your faith is faltering, stop and recount God's blessings in your life. When your faith is faltering, stop and recount God's blessings in your life. We talked about the tender mercies of the Lord. Even in dealing with David as he's there and he's not telling the truth, and he says, well, here, all we have is holy bread. God's provision. I need a weapon. By the way, you see, he wasn't thinking right, right? That, that, that weapon didn't help Goliath. <laughs> but he thought, it'll help me. God says, I'm your protector. He's standing at the tabernacle, talking to the priest of God. God is present. And so when you are beginning to falter in your faith. You begin to wonder, because a lot of times it seems that things are dark and it seems like that God is not answering your prayers. You begin to falter a bit. Stop and look at how God has already blessed you. What He's already brought you through. How He's already ministered to your heart. Look around at the present and see all the blessings of God and count them and realize that God is still near. He's still present. He still cares. And He's still in charge of your life. Don't falter in your faith. But there's a third lesson. And I want you to notice the way it's worded. When you fail. <laughs> when you fail. When we fail. It's not an if, is it? We fail. When you fail, repent and return to the Lord in worship and praise. We find that's what David does. And out of this time of his life comes Psalm 52. And Psalm 56. And Psalm 34. As he exalts the Lord. And magnifies Him. And so maybe you're here today and you've, you've royally failed. You've messed up. Repent. Come back to the Lord. Get right. And then worship and pray. Three important lessons for the road. God's faithfulness is so evident in David's life. And it's evident in our lives. So don't run in fear. Stop. And look around in faith. And see God's hand at work in your life. Father, we're grateful that you do record... Not only the triumphs, but also the failings of your servants. And Lord, thank you for this account in David's life and what it's taught us. And I pray, Lord, that as we journey with you, that we'll take these lessons to heart. That we'll run to you in times of fear. We'll recount your blessings when our faith is wanting to falter. And we'll repent and return to you and worship and praise when we fail. Thank you, Lord, for not walking away from David. Not washing your hands of David. Thank you for your tender mercies in his life. And Lord, thank you that that is true in our lives as well. 
I pray today if anybody here has been listening and they said, listen, I don't even have a faith that can falter. I don't know Christ as my Lord and Savior. I pray your Holy Spirit to minister to their heart, show them their need of Christ, and bring them to saving faith today. And then, Lord, for your servants, your men and women, whatever it is you're speaking to their heart, I pray that they'll be obedient and they'll respond in faith. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need to be saved today, we'd love to talk with you about that. If God has spoken to your heart, Christian, about some area, maybe you need to come today and pray. Give some things to the Lord. The altar is open. We're going to close at 458. Nearer, my God, to thee, nearer to thee. And as we stand and sing, the altar is open. We would invite you to come and pray. If we can help you in some way, please let us know. 458, nearer, my God, to thee. Stand